Welcome to Authors Are Rockstars, a podcast dedicated to YA lit and rockin' music. I'm Michelle. And I'm Allison. And today we have a very special edition for you. It's very special because it's with Lee Bardugo, you guys. OMG! I love Lee. And Shadow and Bone, her first book in this trilogy, was one of my absolute favorite reads of 2012. And Siege and Storm does not disappoint. Yeah, it was such a great read. I always love middle books in a trilogy because they're always just so intense. Well, anyway, let's get to the interview. We are here at Froman's Bookstore in Pasadena talking to one of our favorite people, Lee Bardugo. Yay, we love you. You're awesome. We love you. <laughs> Shadow and Bone was such a huge hit, New York Times bestseller, and the sequel, Siege and Storm, comes out in June, and that's your second book. We are so excited. We've gotten a sneak peek at it. It's so good, you guys. I just like making everybody hate me by saying, I've read Siege and Storm, and you haven't. I like that. I'm very <laughs> jealous, listeners. Okay, so... How's life as a published author treating you? What's been happening this past year since we talked to you last? It's been a really amazing year. It's been really unexpected. Like, the things that I thought were going to be sort of... There were things I didn't anticipate. Like, being able to talk to readers and getting to go on tour a second time. And that's that's been sort of the best part. But I didn't see it coming, (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) We were just that awesome. Well, and then Shadow and Bone is being given the Hollywood treatment with DreamWorks picking up the film rights and David Heyman set to produce. Is that amazing? What? I mean, the truth is when when fantasy movies are bad, they're really bad. So (laughs) We were actually having this conversation in the car about fantasy TV. So, It's really easy to get it wrong. So when Shadow and Bone was sort of making the rounds, that was sort of on our minds. And I could not have handpicked better people to be involved with it. Like, it it feels nice to be able to be like, it's going to be fine, guys. When people are like, don't screw up the movie. And I'm like, I don't have anything to do with it, but these people know what they're doing, so it's all right. Have they consulted you? Um, I have spoken with our screenwriter, Chris Kyle. It was actually really fun. It was funny, though, too, because... We, we Skyped together, and he would ask me questions. Like, I, I had to tell him everything that happens in book three, and which was strange to, to do. <laughs> and then he asked me questions. Like, he'd be like, well, does the Darkling really have feelings for Alina? And I was like... And I started giving him my standard answers. I was like, Bob and Weave, Lee, Bob and Weave. You know, because, like, those are not things I want to disclose. And then I was like, oh, I I should actually tell him (laughs) what's going on. Yeah, so I actually had to send him some emails after and be like, okay, these are not the, let me me tell you the what, what. So, um, but it was very cool. He had great questions. And, again, it's a nice feeling to to feel like somebody gets your story and gets your characters and isn't going to run roughshod over them. Yeah, well, that's so good. I'm glad you have such a good team working on your your I am too. your baby. I'm enjoying the dream casting that's happening over <laughs> on the the fan page. That's I've I've been voting. I've been voting. Who have you voted for? I really okay. I know he's too old, so it's not going to happen. But I would really like the guy who plays Hook on Once Upon a Time to be the Darkling. Really? I just I think he's cute. <laughs> he's so. I think but he's yeah, cute. I, I need him to shave, and then I'll be able to. Yeah, but I think him. yeah, but I think he's so cute. He is cute. He's very cute. The Darkling has to be cute. And that (laughs) transitions nicely to my next question for you. I think last time we chatted, I think it was off the record, but we were talking about how readers were probably going to get really excited about Mel or the Darkling and they're, you know, maybe going to be like a little divisive element there. So so how has that gone now that the book is out? Like, is there team Darkling? Because I'm still team Mel. There seem to be two very strong contingents. (laughs) And it's often 
a little bit crazy to see that play out. Like, I'm on Tumblr a lot. Like, I, I love <laughs> Tumblr. And so I often see that playing out in the Shadow and Bone tag. And there's actually been some really interesting discussions about it. What I hope is that I've never seen it as a love triangle. The weird thing is that before I was in YA, I understood a love triangle to be like, A is in love with B is in love with who's in love with C. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But in YA, it's usually like B and C are in love with A, and A must choose between B and C. That's so mm-hmm. true. But I don't really see these relationships that way and I don't see any of the relationships in the book that way like it's not kind of a an equilateral triangle there's love and lust and friendship and nostalgia and political machinations and you know sort of all of the things that are going on in people's lives that that don't just have to do with romantic choices so what's been cool for me is seeing the people actually talking about it and arguing about it and you know Alina's past and Alina's future and the future of Ravka and I'm like yay so yeah I, I kind of love all that stuff all this I mean that's terrible but no. I yeah I like it that people are so invested in that. And hey, when you create two cute guy characters, it doesn't matter what's really happening in the story. People are going to get excited about it, like outside of Which the story, Which I am right? fine with. It's fun. I do it that It takes on too. a life of its own, sort yeah. of. Yeah. <laughs> it really does. And I love that you post your fan art. That is so cool. I you have some gorgeous stuff. I have maybe fan jewelry mm-hmm. too like that uh, I have one of their pieces for um, Cassie Clare's series I yeah. have a little Vivian and Hable it's Hable Design HableDesign.com I just work. I don't make any money off of the jewelry but we do donate a portion of every sale to Reading is Fundamental when she first got in touch with me I actually didn't know about her jewelry and I was like I don't know you know and then I saw her stuff and I was like holy wow yes please <laughs> do this and we're gonna have new stuff coming out for Siege and Storm too so and excited. some just some new pieces that I'm really excited about but she's amazing and the fan art honestly get like emotionally gets to me I, I mean it really I'm actually gonna tear up um, <laughs> like there are certain pieces like when I was working on Ruin and Rising which is the third book in the series I mean I wrote books one and two in kind of like a bubble right. where I nobody had ever heard of either so it was kind of like I can do whatever I want and <laughs> and nobody was sort of in it with me other than my, my wonderful editor and, and my agent but book three was a little different because I would sort of work and then I would check the tag and there would be like these beautiful edits and like fan mixes and this incredible art and it was like it, it's a way of seeing your world completely differently like it almost feels like I didn't write it like it's somebody else it, I'm seeing I'm seeing it through somebody else's eyes and it is just an incredible experience so it's like my favorite thing so share your fan art with Lee <laughs> listeners, <laughs> listeners, share, share. Yes, please. Oh my gosh, please do. And people are so hard on themselves. They're always like, this was just, I did this in 10 minutes, or this is so terrible, or it just didn't turn out the way I wanted. And I'm like, dude, if you could see what I draw, like, <laughs> that's amazing. Like, quit. And also, it's like, I just love seeing what people see. Like, people are always like, who do you see as the Darkling? Or who do you see? And I'm like, it doesn't matter what I see. Right. Like, you have what I see on the page. And now I want to know what's in your head. Like, I love seeing castings and all that kind of, because it's fascinating to me, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> that's so cool. Well, we know your readers are excited about Siege and Storm again. Ha, 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 I read it. Um, (laughs) We want to give them a little teaser about what they can expect. Yeah, well, the darkling... It's awesome. (laughs) Well, the tagline that that we've been using is darkness never dies. So, obviously, the darkling is back. And and dum-dum-dum. Yeah, Alina and Mal are on the run, and uh, you can expect a lot of new characters. Pretty much all the, the book one characters will be back, so you'll see them. 
Um, new characters are awesome. I just have to say, when we were talking about team, I'm team new character. I think we talk about them later, but that's um, who I'm team. I'm guessing it's Sturmhan. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited. Sturmhan is... I was, was going to say, I didn't want to spoil, yeah. but that's yeah, we talk about them later. Oh, oh, yeah. sorry. Okay. Um, the first five chapters are online right now. Yes. So I think a lot of your loyal readers have probably devoured those immediately. And yeah, I'm We've actually sure. gotten already a couple of Sturmhan ca- castings. Oh, so that was, And I am really curious about that one because, I mean, I hope that he reads as funny. Like, that is yeah. the goal. So I think that makes him more challenging to cast, honestly, because funny is tough. Yeah, I can't. I can't think of anybody. Really. Not that no. many hot funny people out there. No. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> hot guys, time to hone your comedy skills. Right. <laughs> yeah. No. Was he as much fun to write as he was to read? He is my favorite character to write. There's no question. I mean, I and I think that's partially because there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of darkness in the books. Obviously, like like literally and figuratively. And it was sort of a pleasure to write a character who wasn't ever questioning himself. You know, like all my other characters struggle with moral quandaries and, and with themselves and with their choices. And Sturmhans basically like, I know what I like, and it's money. So, you know, like, it was fun to write somebody who has great confidence and clarity of intent. And his, he just kind of like, he was instantly there. Like, some characters just show up ready to work. And yeah. I'm like, alright, I don't really have to. Although there are some times when I'm like, I know he needs to say something witty, and I'm like, um, I got nothing for you. <laughs> I am tapped out. So That is challenging. Comedy is really challenging. I, I mean, the fear is always that it will fall flat or that people won't find it funny, but I really did enjoy writing him. And the only danger was that, I mean, he could have just taken over the entire book and he would have been happy to. He's one of those, you know, he's a character who loves to talk about He reminds himself. me of Puck. Like, and, you know, I'm trying to think of casting. I'm sitting here while you're talking. And oh, I'm like, I think of another, ca- like, I'm like, I keep on thinking of characters that are fictional. Like, I can't think of a real boy. But I'm like, he kind of reminds me of Puck. If Puck were real. I've gotten Puck, like, I've gotten Peter Pan, Han Solo. Oh, yeah. Um, I actually think he's a little bit Lando Calrissian. Nice. I like, I thought he was Han, but he's a little Lando, too. So, oh, and there's yeah. one fictional inspiration that I can't talk about because it's a spoiler. I'll tell you guys after. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, We are just yeah. so mean to our listeners with this interview. <laughs> but <laughs> your book is one of the, my favorite books ever. So I wow. can't help but be like, ha, 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 people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of our listeners here, we'll give you a little love. We have some questions from them. Giselle is <clears throat> wondering about the Grecian mythology. For example, is there a special reason why a person would end up being Grecia? Well, it's genetic, honestly, but it's not like a strict correlation. There are long Grecia lines, and if two Grecia marry, it's more likely that they'll have a Grecia child, but it's not a guarantee. And Grecia genes show up also, like not arbitrarily, but they can be recessive. So two Otkazatia parents could have or a Grecia child. So in terms of like the spiritual side of Grisha power, that's something that's going to get explored a lot more in books two and three, kind of what it means to be Grisha, why some people aren't Grisha and some are, and what that hunger for power and that separation from power means for, for everybody in the book. So. Oh, I love it. Good. <laughs> All right, so Jessica wants to know, according to the Darkling, the era of the Grisha is ending which is fascinating, by the way. She says, I might have missed it, but is Ravka the only country with Grishas? Ravka is kind of the sanctuary for Grisha. In Fierda, the country to the north, they're seen as witches, and they're hunted, mm-hmm. essentially, and burned at the stake and rounded up. In the Shuhan, there's this kind of quest to find out what 
where Grisha power comes from. So they're experimented on, like they're they're seen as essentially sub subhuman or dangerous in just about every. They're sold as slaves by Kurch traders. Like you don't want to be a like a sort of a free range Grisha out there. And Ravka, the Darkling, essentially built the second army to provide a safe haven for Grisha in the world. The idea was actually inspired by the fact that before World War II and during World War II, so many Jews fled Eastern Europe and they became a kind of brain trust for the United States in World War II. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the idea of this kind of persecuted minority becoming a powerful force was part of the influence on that idea. Ooh. Okay, I have to say that is really cool. So we just talked about genetics and now we're talking about World War II history. I mean, kids, <laughs> these books are educational. <laughs> I'm not sure that's true. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that thought. <laughs> All right. Well, Parents, <laughs> educate your children. Educate your children. Brianna asks, if you were to add all the words that were drafted and cut to the finished copy, which book will be longer, Shadow and Bone or Siege and Storm? Wow, that is a difficult question. To be totally honest... I don't write long. I usually end up writing adding in revision as opposed to cutting. Interesting. Thus far, that's been the case. So I would say Siege would still be longer. I mean, Siege is almost 100 pages longer than Shadow and Bone. And I would say that would definitely be longer. And I think Ruin, the third book, Ruin and Rising, will, my guess is it's going to fall right in between. It's actually not. I know most series get longer book by book, but I think that one's going to fall right in the middle in length. I like it. I think that shows some kind of restraint. Well, you know, I'm known for my restraint. (laughs) It's an admirable And my elegance. (laughs) I love it. Okay, so uh, Joanna wants to know more details about the environment surrounding the NC, specifically because sand skiffs are mentioned. So she's wanting to know whether to picture, like, is it sand or murky water? It's sand. Okay. It's not a sea at all. It's like a dead desert essentially like I describe at length like the gray sand of the fold and the skiffs are these kind of wide shallow boats that are propelled by the ethereal by the squalors who use currents to propel them but they move essentially silently over the sand but there's no water there. it makes me think of Avatar the Last Airbender they've got some sand skiffs in there do they really yeah but they've got oh like they're gosh. they're earthbenders and the earthbenders bend the sand they're sandbenders <sighs> yeah so they're moving them differently you know I'm not gonna so lie I did not I did not I watched Korra, but I I did not watch um, Avatar The Last Airbender until after Korra. was actually kind of horrified when I saw some of Avatar, and I was like, oh my gosh, like, this, I'm like, this is all in my book. Like, no, 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 it's I good think things. you do such different things with these general concepts of, I mean, let's face it, like people with special abilities, that's a general concept that's out there. Well, and so what you do with it is what makes it very unique. But yes. I will say, I, as a librarian, I pitch your book to readers. Like this girl grabbed the book out of my hands after I said, it's like Harry Potter meets Anastasia meets Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> that is a great pitch, actually. <laughs> it really works. And I mean, of course, like there's so much more I can say about it. But when I just want to recommend it to someone, I need a quick pitch. That's how I do it. And one of my I, favorite descriptions of the book that came up I think on Book Riot was it's if Durmstrang were cool like (laughs) I was like that is awesome I love it I'm gonna use that one too (laughs) Amarani Ra sorry if I just totally butchered your name would like to know if you are writing another story set in the Gracia world are you gonna let it go after this third book comes out okay this when the trilogy is over it is gonna be over like y'all are gonna know that it's over but uh, everybody dies. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> everybody dies in chapter two, and then the rest are just farm subsidies. Yeah. So I do have some ideas for books 
set in the same world. And there are certain characters who I could definitely see getting their own books. I'm just not sure if that's going to be the next thing I write or if there's going to be kind of a palate cleanser book in between. I would kind of like to write something set in our world and just, you know, be able to be like, she ate a peanut butter sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) She feasted on nuts bread from the Isle of Maru. (laughs) So, like, that's... For instance, so I am. I'm sort of just gonna wait and see until right now. I'm completely focused on promotion, but I've pitched a few ideas and I'm working on a few things, and, and I can't really say more than that at this point. It's top secret, but we will follow you anywhere. So oh. whatever you write, anywhere, <laughs> anywhere. And I will say too, book two has an expanded map, and you'll see things in it that are not that actually don't come up in the series yet, but Ooh. that I know exactly what the stories are going to be for them. So I hope the series is popular enough that I get to write as many books as I want in it. I have a feeling. Okay, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Laura would like to know what it was like to write that last book in the series. We've talked a little about it, Ruin and Rising. So you finished writing it recently. What yeah. was that experience like emotionally? Um, it was crazy emotional, actually. I, I used to sort of smirk at authors who would talk about how painful it was for them to do bad things to their characters, or they'd talk about how, you know, they, they, they'd say that they cried when they wrote a particular thing, or there's like there's like some movie where Diane Keaton is like crying in front of the keyboard, I'd be like, come on! I'm like, that's just... And now I've had to eat so much crow, because I wept, like, I, I cried a river while I was writing that book. And even writing the good times and the bad times in it, um, there was something incredibly emotional about saying goodbye to all of these characters, and also to, I guess, playing out some of the things that I had always known were going to happen, but had been very abstract. And then actually writing them was incredibly intense. So I hope that people will have like a similar response. I hope that they'll feel the same level of emotional investment. And I think that was part of it too, was knowing that there are other people who care about the characters. Mm-hmm. Like before it was like they they were less real in a way because they only existed for me. So yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, I'm getting emotional just <laughs> okay, thinking about good. it. So I'm not the only one. I was telling Lee before the interview that you will tear up when you have, read Siege and Storm. So have tissues ready, people. Oh, have them ready. And, you know, I always joke about that. Like, people will be like, you know, oh, I'm having the feels or whatever. And I always, I'm always like, you know, I'll joke about, you know, your tears keep me young or whatever. (laughs) But the truth is, for me at least, like, I actually really don't enjoy doing bad things to characters. Mm. Like, I think that's part of why none of my characters are That's interesting, because we just had Jennifer Bosworth in here right before you, and she was talking about tormenting her characters and going, I know a lot of characters, like, a lot of authors love that. And I am always like, no, I really don't like doing it. Like, if and I'm glad that the, I think you this love is why I love my babies. And but it's also more like I'm glad none of them are really like me because mm-hmm. honestly, I would want to just write stories. I actually have a secret ruin. I'm on Pinterest all the time. It's what I do instead of reading reviews. <laughs> but, um, Good decision. It really, no, really, it's like my drug of choice. But I have boards for Shadow and Bone and Siege and Storm, and I have a secret rune and Rising board. You mm-hmm. know, you can have secret mm-hmm. boards. Yeah. And I will sometimes, like, just pin, like, nice things to it because I'm like, I'm like, these are nice things that happen. <laughs> I like it. That's exactly. so therapeutic. Right? Because, I mean, I kind of just want to, like, have everybody be happy. But that doesn't, that's not an interesting story. And the fact is, you can't. Yeah. Like, I don't like to feel, I think, whatever happiness and whatever sorrow and whatever happiness and whatever comes your way in the book, it has to feel earned, you know? Mm-hmm. Whether it's a declaration of love or it's a death whatever it is, it can't feel arbitrary. It has to feel earned for for the reader. And um, 
Yeah, but it's for me. It's not easy to to write those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh. Uh. Okay. Okay. Well, let's stop being emotional. Okay. Let's let's do fun stuff. Let's do fun stuff. So we asked you a traditional karaoke question last time. We have a new music-related question. Oh, first, I just also oh, want to yes. say thank you to all the people who submitted questions. It's yeah, really there were so many to choose from. It you was guys, rock. we were sitting here, we're like, oh, we can't. But that makes all. me so happy. Yes, I always, so I feel like I give so many interviews and write so many blog posts that I'm like, what could possibly anybody possibly want to know? <laughs> what could anybody possibly want to know about me? <laughs> but, there were but, lots so that's of nice. questions. There were lots of great questions, and we're sorry we couldn't include them all. But thank you. Good. <laughs> all right, so music. Music. If the Darkling was making a mixtape, oh, Pete's sake, for Elena, what would it be? What would be on it? What are you talking a about? <laughs> like, the Darkling doesn't sit around making mixtapes. He has people to do that for him. Oh. Like, like, can you imagine? Oh my god! I like to think that he secretly sits there making mixtapes. Well, the Darkling is not that emo. Okay, <laughs> he's just he is a man with a lot on a, a big to do list. Like, he doesn't make mixtapes. No, no <laughs> Nothing. Okay, well, would anyone make a mixtape for anyone? <laughs> I, I really, I really want to know. Oh. This is important. Did you watch Avenue Q or something recently? I was a watching, um, oh, no. a mixtape. Perks of being a wallflower, actually. Ah, uh, okay. okay, well, here's what I can say. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to scratch the itch for you, but, um, <laughs> Um, first of all, I'm going to be doing a Seizure and Storm playlist on Novel Sounds, which is a great, if you like reading about music and books, that is a fantastic blog. It's one of my favorite blogs. The way that I use music when I write is I kind of have certain emotional prompts. And I did this thing with Ruin and Rising that I'd never done before. Usually my policy had been like, I don't listen to anything really with lyrics or any strong emotional thrust like when I'm working. It's like just basically like fortet or like ratatat or like, you know, something that just has a beat. But with Ruin, when I was getting into the last scenes, I listened to certain songs over and over again. I would just put them on repeat for like for a given scene. I cannot reveal them because again, spoilers. But I can say like for Siege, like for the Darkling, as far as I'm concerned, his like theme song is Running Up That Hill. It's the placebo version of the Kate Bush song. That is like his, like that would be his like entrance music, you know? So (laughs) I suppose that he might in another universe put that on a mixtape. There. I submit. Okay, well, I have to call attention to the fact that you actually worked out a really amazing answer to the same question. <laughs> I twisted so, myself into a knot. Thank you. You're a genius. <laughs> yes, a genius. And thank you so much for coming here and You're chatting welcome. with us today. Thank you for having me. I, I love you guys and I love your podcast. And you guys interviewed me last year when nobody wanted to interview me. So, <laughs> so this is nice. It's nice Yay. to be back. Thanks to Roman's Bookstore in Pasadena for providing the awesome conference room for us to record this interview in. And thanks to Lee for being so awesome and letting us interview her again. Now, listeners, don't miss the release of book two in the Grisha Trilogy, hitting bookstores everywhere on June 4th. All right, well, we'll be back again soon with another Authors Authors Are Rockstars. Rockstars.